It's Radio Free 501C, the podcast of Rogue Tulips Consulting. I'm your host, Cecilia Sapp, and we're so excited to be back for Season 6 and continue bringing you outstanding ideas and thought leaders and different ways of thinking. So don't forget to subscribe because you're not going to want to miss any of it. This week, Ellipsis TV is in the house. We're joined by president of Ellipsis TV, Cameron Gordon. He's also the executive producer there. And he brought along his producer, Cora Hankey. We're here to talk about using video for effective storytelling. And we're going to talk about the in-between is ineffective. Stay tuned. It's time for episode 230. Hey everybody, it's Monday, February 26th. That means it's time for another episode of Radio Free 501C brought to you by Rogue Tulips Consulting. I'm your host, Cecilia Sup. I also happen to be the principal and founder of Rogue Tulips. So thanks for joining us this week. To our global audience, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be. And again, thanks to everybody for joining us. This is a great episode because it's something associations and other types of nonprofits don't talk about a lot, and that's video and how we can leverage it and use it to our best advantage. So this week, we are talking about the in-between is ineffective. And in a few minutes, we're going to explain to you what the heck that actually means. But we are here welcoming first-time guests Cameron Gordon and Cora Hankey from Ellipsis TV. They do all kinds of production, and they're going to explain that to us. But before we jump in, I'm going to throw it over to Cameron and say, hey, Cameron, welcome. And would you like to say hello and tell us about yourself? Sure. Well, uh, thanks for having us. Really excited to, to have this conversation. Uh, I've been working in television production for almost 20 years now. I started out uh, in the Olympics in literally ancient Greece in 2004, working for NBC Sports, uh, and then went on to work in documentary television in New York City, creating television shows for football teams, NFL, NHL, uh, moved into commercials, and then Saw an opportunity to start my own company and uh, really focus on the digital aspect of things back in 2013 and working with association clients, still creating television content, uh, and then, you know, working with nonprofits and other uh, small to large businesses as well. Cora, welcome. Would you like to say hello and tell us something about yourself? Yeah, thank you so much, Celia. Um, My name is Cora. I've been working with Ellipsis for two years. Um, I have a history of working in a lot of different productions, reality TV, documentary, live event production. Um, And two years ago, I was lucky enough to meet Cam at Ellipsis. And now I'm a producer here. And I absolutely love anything to do with video production, live events. Um, I love being on the field. And I really love telling stories, which is why I ended up here at Ellipsis. Oh, wonderful. Well, I know there are a lot of stories that associations have to tell. But before we talk about that part, uh, Cam, I'll throw it over to you. Could you explain what you and Cora mean by the term the in-between is ineffective? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like think, obviously the landscape and how storytelling through video has changed quite dramatically over the last, let's say, three to 10 years. Um, there's really two buckets of video content that we feel are compelling, and those are sort of on the opposite end of the production quality spectrum. So on one side of that spectrum, you have content that looks and feels self-made, organic, done by, you know, usually by in-house social media people who are really savvy with phones and what how social media works and, and telling stories in 
a way that really does feel organic and uh, authentic and honest to the brand. And then you have this like 98% middle gap where a handful of resources are put into something. It's usually features a lot of talking heads, you know, rehashing PR approved uh, points that messaging points that, um, you know, are not necessarily really moving the needle on anything. You're not really going to convince somebody when you just have a talking head there who is saying things that just need to get put onto a video to check a box. And then where we feel like we come in is on the 1% high end of that spectrum where we're creating documentary style content built for social media and multi-platform distribution that looks and feels like it could air on HBO as a documentary or Netflix as a documentary. So really well-crafted, well-developed characters, beautiful imagery, you know, uh, a sense of authority that you're really watching something that was crafted and had a lot of effort that was put into it, which makes our characters stand out. And oftentimes we really try to use real people, and especially in association communications where, you know, our association clients are advocating for things that are really important to people. And we want to go out and use those people, not use them, but work with those people and tell those stories as um, you know, authentic champions of what our association clients are trying to accomplish. And we feel that that really comes off as more honest and genuine. And, and you're really going to have a sense of belief when you're watching this piece, because you see what they went through and, and you can really feel like you've been in their shoes and that the important work that associations are trying to do really does change things. And so we just feel like a lot of resources are being wasted in that middle 98% of video content that's coming out where you know maybe instead of putting out 30 videos a year you do maybe the same number but a lot of them are more authentic self-made kind of style pieces and then you save up and you do a couple of really high-end documentary style pieces that are marquee things that can be repurposed in a million different ways um and and we really feel like that's a much better strategy yeah well, you know, that's really a good point about resources kind of get dispersed. So Cora, what, what are your thoughts on that topic? Yeah, I agree with everything Cam just said. Um, and I also think that associations have the power to give their audience more credit. Like the general public knows when they're watching something that is corporate, that's a commercial ad that has fixed messaging. But if we tell real stories, the audience appreciates that they feel like they've been informed there. It's easier for them to engage and relate. And it adds a bit of like human empathy to these message, these messages that they want to get across, which I think is super important. Yeah. And that's really a, a great segue into something else you both wanted to discuss, which is why you like working with associations. And I have a feeling it's because they have good stories to tell. Am I right? Yeah, I'm a I'm a naturally curious person. So I kind of found the best job in the world for myself. I've interviewed, you know, over 2,500 people in the course of my career. And that ranges from everyday people up to, you know, American presidential candidates and foreign presidents and travel all over the world to tell these stories. And, uh, you know, I because of that curiosity, working with association clients is incredible because their associations are obviously so focused on specific issues and oftentimes they're not things that I've really had a chance to think about very much in my life until I've come across them as clients and so you get to learn by talking with the real people who are benefiting from the work of the associations or internal experts or partners or whatever all of these incredible things that I never would have known and so 
I feel like there's just so much to uh, so many stories to tell that because of the impact that the work of the associations have, and you know, as a storyteller, as a naturally curious person, I'm just blown away by the possibilities of working with associations. And honestly, I kind of fell into it, never realized that associations were such a big category. And I feel like a lot of other production companies uh, to give away our secret probably haven't recognized this as well uh, <laughs> because of the tremendous opportunity for for stories that come out of the work of the associations. And so, yeah, I just feel like there's the possibility is just so incredible. And every new association we talk about or think about approaching, you know, we have 50 ideas right off the bat that would just make wonderful content that would move the needle for them. Yeah, that's you know, that's a really good point because it's the individuals who get involved that make the organization interesting and strong and, and successful and everybody experiences it differently. So each individual has their own unique experience within the association itself. So people hate it when I say this, but everybody belongs to a different association. So you can have 10,000 members and they all belong to 10,000 different associations because it depends on how they're engaging and interacting and what they're sharing and what they're getting out of it. So uh, Cora, would you like to add anything about that? I think Cam covered everything. <laughs> I okay. possibly could add on, so I'm good with that right. one. I actually have one more point on that too. I think one of the things that kind of surprised me too, as we dug deeper into the association world was the passion that association people have for their jobs. I mean, this is not just a nine to five for the people that we've come across. This is something like they've taken the baton and they are running with it and they are moving heaven and earth to advance the mission of the association. And I feel like that is so unique, you know, when you compare to the general population of most businesses that we've worked with in the past not all we have excellent clients outside of the association world but you know in general like you don't come across people who are as passionate about their work as most association professionals and I think that's been like really inspiring to us too and certainly helpful because they they want to make sure that we are able to tell the best stories that are going to have the most impact and that makes our job a lot easier you know and and that's such a great point because we don't go into this for the money can tell you that you don't go into nonprofit work to make a lot of money. Now, there are some big groups out there, especially large trade associations, and they do have a lot more resources than some of the other groups. But most groups are kind of small, mid-sized to small. And that's why the people show up, because they want to make a difference. And they come in, they bring that passion, they bring that intensity sometimes. And you're right, it's definitely never been a nine to five job because you're always willing to do a little extra on the weekend to make sure something gets done on time or to the best of your ability. So that's great. Now, you did mention you had an example uh, that had to do with responding to some propaganda uh, that a client had to deal with. So I thought that was a great example of not just telling a story, but helping a client with video. So could you uh, share that with us? One of our main clients is uh, CTIA, which is the Wireless Association. So they represent um, many, if not most of the companies that are in the wireless uh, industry. So that comes carriers to handset manufacturers, to people who put up cell phone towers. And, you know, uh, if you think back to 2020, which uh, was a pretty memorable year for everybody, yeah. We really, uh, the industry really launched 5G uh, at, right around the start of COVID. Like the first few months of COVID kind of coincided with the first nationwide launches of 5G. And at the same time, 
there was, you know, a handful of conspiracy theorists who were really pushing specific messages about how 5G causes cancer. There were a lot of people talking about how 5G was the cause of COVID. Um, and there was a point where a network called Russia Today, which is a 24-hour news network, which is literally run by the Kremlin, uh, and you can find it at the time, certainly, on almost every cable uh, lineup, right next to MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, is Russia Today. And they were really pushing hard on this theory that 5G caused cancer. Now, there's a handful of political, global, economic reasons for that and wanting to make sure that the United States doesn't get a big lead in 5G and all of the benefits that come from it, like we experienced here with the economy that was built off of 4G. But obviously, CTIA had a pretty major issue with, uh, you know, people talking about how, or people conspiracy theorizing that 5G caused cancer, which of course it doesn't. And so we had to respond to that in an authoritative way. And so we used video as a really powerful tool by harnessing experts who were able to explain in very clear ways that the physics of, uh, their physics tells us that the you know, the tiny amounts of radiation emitted by um, 5G small cells were way less than what you are exposed to on a daily basis anytime you walk outside from the sun. Mm -hmm. Those uh, radio waves do not penetrate skin, all sorts of, you know, scientific facts that are rooted in physics and all sorts of other uh, sciences and health science that um, are way beyond my personal level of understanding or certainly were before I had an opportunity to talk with these experts. And so we really need to respond to that in an authoritative way. And video was a really great tool for that where we can establish authoritative figures who really are knowledgeable and truthful and are able to explain it to people who might be concerned because you see a headline, 5G causes cancer. That is scary. Yeah. And oftentimes you're going to believe that because, you know, your mind tends to believe negative things before it believes positive things. And especially during that time period in early 2020, if you recall, everybody was kind of in a negative place. So it was sort of a confluence of, of things that uh, led to, um, you know, people having these conspiracy theories. And, and I feel like we were able to really use video to combat, combat a lot of that and I think people have moved on. They realize that 5G is perfectly safe. Um, and I think, you know, not to, there were a lot of factors involved with that, but I, I really do feel like video played a, a strong role in, in helping people to realize how safe 5G actually is. Well, and that's a great example of the power of storytelling, uh, even though it might sound kind of boring, you know, it's sciencey, but if you have an interesting person telling it, uh, one of my brothers-in-law said one time, Somebody could go on a fantastic trip, like to Italy or something, and make it sound like the most boring thing ever because they're not good at telling a story. But then a janitor can come and tell you about his day and make you think he's been on an adventure, you know. So it's re really all in in that story and getting it across. And I also would hope that people get in the habit in this day and age, as we like to say, of double checking things. Look for more information. Don't just take it as gospel because Russia Today says anything or anybody says anything, okay, Russia Today, save the angry postcards. I'm not picking on you. But just if any news outlet says this headline, you know, please think it through. There's a great example of how you use video to help CTIA get the word out about, the, you know, what really goes on with 5G. 
So could you talk a little bit about documentary style content? You you say you like to do that first. So could you go into some more detail about that? You were talking about how you use that to, you know, get some more information out about a specific incident. But what about documentary style? Yeah, Cora, did you want to feel this one? Yeah, sure. Um, so for us, I think we found like Cam 10 years ago when you started Ellipsis, um, you know, we found that documentary storytelling can really get the audience to empathize and it informs and it it's it's something more than a corporate ad or commercial um, where the audience knows now, especially when they're getting that corporate messaging in a way that's not authentic and not genuine. So I think, you know, associations, especially using real stories, real people is the best way to go um, because the audience can tell, give your audience the credit and, and know that it, there's something powerful about documentary storytelling that, you know, I think now it's been, the first documentary was made in 1922, Nanook of the North, and, and it's been over a hundred years now. And there's something about documentary storytelling that's special and powerful that has made it stick around for so long um, because people want to see real humans on screen and they want to hear real stories. And there's a difference between entertaining and informing. And sometimes in documentary, you can have a little bit of both, which I think is really special and powerful. Um, so I'll pass it back to Cam. <laughs> now, that's interesting. Before you pass it back to Cam, I never realized Nanook of the North was a documentary. <laughs> I always thought it was fiction. So that's interesting to know because I like movies. Okay. Great. Well, now before we wrap up, um, and the conversation may go on a little longer, but I know you both have a, what you like to call your crazy production story. And I know we all have crazy stories about work. So, uh, Cor, would you like to share your crazy production story? Oh, actually, can Cam do this one first? <laughs> I feel like, uh, okay. he has a, a great story that I would love to hear before I tell mine. <laughs> okay, great. Well, over to Cam then. All right. Well, um, so mine mine happened in 2008. I was in Uganda, which is in Eastern Africa, with a football player. We were doing a short documentary piece on the football player's uh, visit there and a lot of the humanitarian efforts he was doing, both in Uganda and Burundi. And we had a day to go shoot B-roll. Um, and so we went on a safari. And uh, the infrastructure for safaris at the time in Uganda wasn't like Kenya or South Africa. It was a little less developed. And so we had to ford a river and there was a raft that was going to take our, our Jeep across the river, but the engine had broken down. So, you know, we you know, in the middle of the desert or, you know, forest reserve, it's not easy to maintain equipment. So we had to wait for a while. Um, and foolishly, I had not done a whole lot of research into the wildlife of uh, Eastern Africa and Uganda. And so we were sitting by this river and I went with the camera to go get some shots while we were waiting and came across uh, a hippopotamus that was uh, relaxing in the river, not realizing that more people are killed by hippopotamuses than any other animal in Africa. Got very close to it, saw that it had babies, was getting all sorts of great footage of this uh, hippopotamus family. And all of a sudden, all of the... Uh, our our safari guide came like 
was like waving his hands, telling me to get as far away from that hippopotamus as possible because it was about to get out of the river and charge at me. And that would have been the last anybody had ever heard of me. So uh, just a good, good example, a good lesson learned that need to uh, make sure that I do more research maybe than I had done prior to that, that specific trip to Uganda. But uh, I survived almost getting eaten by a hippopotamus. And that's uh, one of my children's favorite stories. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I think in America, because we've all seen Fantasia, we think hippos are harmless and they're really not. They actually are pretty dangerous creatures and they can run faster than you think they can. I think they can run about 30 miles an hour. So you and cannot. They're so get cute. Yeah, yeah. They're adorable. The babies, everything's so cute. And uh, yeah, good lesson learned that day. Well, and that's why uh, the country of Colombia is having a lot of issues right now with their hippo population that they thought would just die off when they escaped the zoo. Uh, that was Pablo Escobar's private zoo. They escaped. There was only four of them. They said, all right, we can't catch them. They'll die. Well, now there's like a thousand of them and they have no natural predators in Colombia. So they're loving life there. So uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's they're having that issue, too. And yeah, that is the number one cause of death in Africa is hippo. <laughs> so, you know, you don't think it, uh, again, cause Fantasia and then there's that game, hungry, hungry hippos. So we're like, that's right. so cute. You know, look at everything you get to learn on radio free 501 C. Huh? That's right. There's Amazing. always something going on here. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so Cora, uh, what is your crazy story? That's a pretty it's funny just, one. It's not as there's no hippos involved in my story. <laughs> <laughs> But it's still pretty cool. Last year in 2023, we were able to work on production for an aviation show, um, a documentary about aviation and all the amazing feats that can be accomplished by using aviation as a tool. So about a year ago, we were planning, we prepared, we did our pre-pro, we were ready to go down and shoot a story about lung transportation um, and how aviation is used to transport lungs for from organ donor to recipient um and it was it's one of those things that we can plan and prepare down to the last detail <laughs> and of course we got the call the day before anybody was in town to shoot that there was an organ that was ready to be transported so we all had to fly drive get to that city just to get on a plane and go on go on the jet and go with the team that was transporting the organ um, from the recipient to the donor um, or from the donor to the recipient, I should say. And it was a really cool, special experience that I would have otherwise never known that this action happens between hospitals, between doctors, between from the surgeon to the surgeon getting on the jet to hopping from the jet into an ambulance to get to the hospital to help transport that organ back to the plane to get to the hospital where the recipient is waiting. It was such a cool, special experience that most people don't know happens. It's very quick and efficient and they've been doing this for many years. So it was it was a really cool thing to be a part of. Um, and my first time in a private jet, probably my only time in a <laughs> private jet. Um, so yeah, that's my story. That was probably the craziest thing I've been able to do and be a part of. And it felt very special to be able to tell that story because a lot of people don't know that there's a lot that happens behind the scenes. Um, and of course, you can't tell when an organ is going to become available. So everybody has to be very efficient, very good at their jobs. These are professionals that really deserve 
a lot more credit than they're getting because they are the best of the best making sure that this happens so every organ that's getting donated can can be used to potentially save a life. Well, that's not a crazy story. I think that's an inspiring story that you were able to be part of that and jump in and do that. Uh, Because until we actually start regularly using 3D printers to create replacement organs, we're always going to have to have that in place. So, and a friend of mine, her husband had a double lung transplant almost two years ago now. So uh, it is, it's a really important thing. Uh, And it's great that you're able to document that. And yes, there is an association for that. The American Society (laughs) of Transplant Surgeons, (laughs) they're out there. So, well, that's a wonderful uh, story. And so we've gone from, you know, the wilds of Africa and and tracking hippos to getting along to somebody who needs it. So those are really, and that's actually, you know, because I, I know there is an association for zoo employees out there too, probably a lot of them. So Associations cover everything from wildlife to to medicine, to research, to helping people in our community. So I I think all of these stories are so many stories, you will never have time to tell them all. That's true, but that's that's also great. You know, I feel like the endless supply of stories is uh, something that really pushes us to find more of them. And and there's never a lack of supply. That's that's right. (laughs) You know, well, oh. Well, this has been a really great uh, just overview. I I feel like we could go deeper, but this has been a great overview of why documentary style storytelling is valuable to associations and and how getting that story out there, working with professionals who can help you like you guys, or, you know, dedicating some solid staff time to do the videos and make them self-made, like, my podcast video version, definitely self-made. <laughs> I use a subscription service, but definitely self-made. Uh, so what kind of tips might either of you have for an association that maybe wants to go the self-made route? Yeah, I think really focusing on building up your characters is really important, right? You want to, we don't, you don't want to fictionalize them, but you want to quickly establish who they are and their connection to the content that you're trying to create. So, you know, I feel like a lot of times people or or companies or associations kind of make a mistake of just jumping right into story and not giving that just little bit of setup so that you have a real understanding of who is basically talking to you. And I think that that part is really important in establishing, uh, you know, sort of the legitimacy of the story that you're about to tell. So I would really make sure that, you're focusing on developing who that character is. Doesn't you don't need to go out and just say, "Hi, I'm such and such, and here's my uh, here's my backstory and here's my credentials." But I think really making sure that you find some way of having them communicate it, communicate that, whether it's visual or through what they're discussing, I think is is of paramount importance. Yeah, something else that I think is important to note is. Um, stories need to be a lot shorter than they used to maybe 10 years ago and using social media you know to your benefit is it's going to reach a broader audience and instead of a five minute short doc story having a 60 second story cut down that you can throw on instagram on facebook on linkedin is so much more important now than it used to be even five years ago and that really is going to help reach a a bigger audience and a younger audience that maybe doesn't have the attention span to sit through a a longer video. So I think that that's also important to know when 
putting together content like this. I was just going to say that's an interesting point because everybody seems to think people won't focus on something for more than a few minutes. And yet some of the most popular podcast series are one hour episodes. <laughs> so it's, it's a strange thing trying to figure that out. But I think another thing really is to think about multiple projects at once, because, you know, say you have access to a specific person that you're filming with, you know, of course you want to make sure that you get what you need for that main deliverable, but maybe you have another project that a soundbite from this person is going to be really helpful for three months down the line. And you're not going to want to, you know, have the time or resources to go out and film with them again. So just really thinking about that content calendar and what are the messages that we're going to have a few months from now? And is anybody that we're working with, uh, you know, today or this week going to be able to contribute something to make that piece better? I think it's really important too that is easy to overlook because you're focused on getting the job done. And I totally understand that, but you're going to have a lot broader of a library of assets. If you're creating content that is going to be able to be used in multiple deliverables. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that's a great point. Uh, and I, I know we all talk a lot about repurposing our content. And so that just fits right into that area that we like to talk about. But uh, well, before we wrap up, I think you both know I'd like to ask my guest for a closing thought, like what would you like the audience to take away today? And then uh, how can they get in touch with you if they'd like to follow up? So we'll start with Cora. Great. Um, thanks, Cecilia. This has been really nice. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I think um, the most important thing that I want to share is just like keep telling real stories. People know when they're real. They they empathize and they care and they there's something that happens emotionally when you're hearing a real story from a real person and I think if more people tell stories like this we will still get we the general public will appreciate being entertained but also informed um when we're hearing this real authentic genuine storytelling that I think we've been missing in the last couple of years when we're getting thrown content constantly on every form of social media and getting something real and genuine is stands out. Oh, that's great. And then how can people get in touch with you? Do you have like email or LinkedIn? Oh, yeah. I'll let Cam throw his info out there. Oh, okay. So that right. one, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Cora. Uh, all right. Well, so Cam, what is your closing thought for the audience? Yeah, I would say don't be afraid of, of content that is self-made. I think people have uh, a fondness for the authenticity that comes along with that. And I think if you look at your video budget, if you're spending a lot of money in that 98%, and you're not getting the high quality results that you maybe are expecting, I think maybe it's time to consider how you're, how you're really allocating that budget. And maybe you do use a lot more in-house resources and then you create a couple special pieces a year and then you know repurpose and reuse those pieces in a multitude of different ways might be a better approach, especially if you know a lot of your content sort of falling into that talking heads, pre-approved messaging points, kind of a universe that is probably not going to sway hearts and minds in the same way that a really well-told, real human story that is a champion of your association's goals might. And oh, and you can check us out at ellipsis.tv. That's E-L-L-I-P-S-I-S.tv. Great. Oh, well, that's wonderful. And you do have a lot of experience working with associations. So uh, I know that you'll give great advice to current and potential clients. Excellent. Okay. So, well, uh, we have to go rogue for now, but we'll be back next week with another exciting episode. So please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast service. 
Uh, if you'd like to learn more about Rogue Tulips Consulting and how we can help your organization bloom outside the box, check out our website, roguetulips.com. If you're looking for CAE education, especially that all-important ethics course for your renewal application, check out our education program, Rogue Tulips Education, formerly the 501C League. It has its own website, the 501Cleague.net. On behalf of Cameron, Cora, and myself, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>